Welcome to the I Am Persuaded podcast with Travis Shelton. Our desire is to provide weekly encouragement and biblical truths so that you too can be persuaded that he is able. Thanks for joining us on this episode. Now let's hear what Pastor Travis has to say. Thank you so much for tuning in to the I Am Persuaded podcast. I truly hope each episode is an encouragement to you and gives you some scriptural insight on just current events and questions that you might have. And if you haven't already, share it with a friend. There's a lot of topics on here uh, that I've just had questions asked to me a lot. And so you might have a friend, a coworker, a family member, someone that's struggling with something. And so just share the podcast and maybe the episode that is specific to, to whatever the question they might have. So if you would share that with somebody, that would be great. And so for the past couple of weeks, we've been on a spiritual gifts journey, looking at what scripture has to say about your spiritual gift. And uh, we looked at weeks one and two. And remember, this was taught in a live audience at Beulah Baptist Church on Sunday nights. And we're about to play episode three that was recorded. And this one, it's a little bit different than my normal style of preaching and teaching. It's more so just I'm reading off a bunch of Um, characteristics of each spiritual gift. And so the material is not my personal material. A lot of what I'm going to say I read in a book. And so I believe I quote him and give credit to that book at the beginning uh, when I teach the class, but I wanted to make sure to do that on here as well. And so the material, it's all about spiritual gifts. And so we're going to go through probably 20 to 30 characteristics of seven of the spiritual gifts and then about 10 misuses of the spiritual gifts. And so that'll be episode three and episode four in the spiritual gift series. And so I hope you'll listen and maybe listen to it again. And hopefully when your spiritual gift comes comes up, you can say, you know what, that sounds like me. Maybe I'm Satan's using this in my life to be a misuse. And so hopefully the Lord can help you hone in on what your spiritual gift is so that you can more effectively minister for Christ in the days that we have. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Here's episode three of the spiritual gifts. All right, go to Romans chapter 12, and we'll go ahead and get started. We have some more, more material to cover tonight than the past couple of weeks, and so I'm going to try to be quick but thorough with the information we go over tonight. I did want to say this. When I go into the pulpit on Youth on Wednesday nights, on Sunday mornings, I typically have, give or take, eight pages of notes. Tonight I have 35. And so you're probably like, man, we're going to be here all night. That's not the plan, okay? So it's going to look like, and tonight it's different style than I normally do, so I'm going to be probably glued into my iPad just so I can get you this information, you can hear it. And then what I want to say is, if you're specific, we're going over seven specific gifts tonight. Christiana, put that screen of that, um, of the visual. We're going over these seven gifts tonight, and most of these seven gifts can stem off of the, some of the other ones. So you might have gotten something, I know, so I was talking to some guys over here a while ago, they got something on their first test, they didn't like some prophecy, and we're going to talk about that tonight. Um... So there's another link I'll give you at the end if I can, I can share that link with you, text that link to you. It's a more accurate test, I believe. Christiana took that one today and it gave very reliable answers. And then Miss Gloria Welch took it and it gave good reliable answers. So you can take another test if you would like to do that as well. There's another link I can give you. But tonight, as we go over each of these gifts, I can email you a score sheet. And I was going to hand it out, but it's been a lot of paper. I can, if you say, you know what, I think this is my gift. I want to see a score sheet. I can email you a score sheet, and you can answer some questions about that and see if this is really your gift, what you think it is. But last week I said we we're going to break them down into speaking gifts and serving gifts. And so this graphic 
does that very well. The teacher, the perceiver, that's discernment. The exhorter, that is the speaking. Then you got that line going down. This is where it goes into serving gifts, administration, compassion, mercy, giving, and serving. And so that is the hands, that's the muscles, the body of Christ. And then the speaking gifts are teaching, perceiving, discernment, and exhortation, encouragement. And so we're going to go over these seven in detail tonight. And I want to go ahead and say the material I'm going to give you tonight is out of a book I read called um, Examining and Finding Your Spiritual Gift uh, by Jimmy Fortune, I believe, is the author. And so it's a very thorough book. And so he done such a great job with it. I just felt like I couldn't do any better. And so the information tonight, he gives so many characteristics of each and every gift. And it's just very good information. So that's where a lot of the material comes from tonight. Wanted to say that from the beginning. All right, Romans chapter 12. We're going to start off tonight by just recapping the previous week. It won't take long in that because we have a lot of material to cover regarding the specific gifts. And so we talked about last week, and the theme was, well, the first week we talked about where the spiritual gift come from, comes from, who gives the gift. You've got to be saved. The Spirit is the gifter, and there is a lot of diversity inside of the gifting that the Spirit does. And so you might have the same gift as me, but you'll administer it in a different way. So that's the first week. If you missed that and you want some more information, you can come and I'll give you the, the handout I gave that first week. It's got all the information there on it. You can email me and get that. Last week, we looked at this main idea. Though you've been given one specific gift, primarily, you are still called to minister in a lot of different areas. And so we looked at the seven gifts, kind of we looked at seven different characteristics that we are to exhibit as Jesus, our main example, lived these out perfectly. We are now called and we are to uh, have these characteristics in our life every single day at different times. So I gave you the illustration. Someone on the church pew sitting with you on Sunday morning, bawling their eyes out, and you look at them and you say, you know what, I'm not the encourager, so don't look to me, don't talk to me, don't come to me, I'm not going to give you any help, but you can go find somebody that can give you some encouragement. That's not how we as Christians are supposed to act. And so in that given moment, you might be called to give some encouragement while pointing them to someone that could encourage them through Scripture even more so. And so we looked at the seven gifts, discernment, serving, teaching, exhorting, giving, compassion, and evangelism. How at times in our life, we are all called in different scenarios to give these gifts and use these gifts and exhibit these characteristics in our life. So evangelism. Some might be more equipped with sharing the gospel than others. But at the end of the day, we all go back to the Great Commission in Matthew 28. We are all called and commissioned by Jesus Christ himself to share the gospel. And the motive, the, the, the purpose behind all of our gifting is to make much of Jesus. And so while we're all called to evangelism, there are some that have dedicated their life to travel the globe and give their full life to the preaching and the evangelizing of the gospel. Some are more compassionate than others. Some are more giving than others. But it's, at the same time, we're all called to give part of our resources to Christ, our time, our energy, our devotion. We're all called to be compassionate in some scenarios. We're all called to discern what is truth inside of Scripture and what is not truth. I said be very careful what you listen to, who you believe, and what you read regarding a lot of spiritual topics. And so we are called at times to have discernment where we can understand what is truth and what is not. We're all called to serve at various times in our Christian walk. We're all going to be called at certain opportunities at the church where you serve, who you are, to just give of your time to serve as the hands of the body of Christ. And we're all going to teach. If you're a parent, you teach your kids, Sunday school class, various opportunities to teach, and then exhorting. We are all called to give some type of encouragement. So then we ended last week looking at the two different types, the two different categories that Peter breaks down the spiritual gifts in. Speaking gifts and serving gifts. And I gave this illustration. The speaking gifts, they are proclaiming Jesus 
the serving gifts, the hands, the feet of the body, the muscle, they are portraying Jesus. And so those that speak, they're proclaiming verbally, or through exhortation, through teaching, they are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those of you that have been gifted with a serving gift, you are simply through your character, through your demeanor, you are to exhibit, you are to portray the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so not one or the other is of more importance. They are all equally important because the same spirit that gifted me is the same spirit that gifted you. And so we all are serving for the same cause using our gift for the same purpose. And that is to make much of Jesus Christ. And so these two gifts, these two categories, we're going to break them down tonight very quickly and very thoroughly, I believe. But first, before we get there, I want to answer this question. There are what's called signs and wonders gifts. And our Bible speaks of them in Romans 12. It says in verse number, you look at Romans chapter 12, look at verse number, uh, let's see, verse number 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let him prophesy according to the proportion of faith. And so there are four gifts that I believe, and some of you probably got these on your spiritual gift test. And so these four gifts, I believe through biblical conviction and understanding of Scripture, we can call these signs and wonders gifts. You say, well, what's that mean? It simply means that these gifts were primarily given and gifted to those that lived 2,000 years ago, right after the resurrection of Jesus, given to the disciples. And so these gifts were used for them. So, uh, for example, Peter at Pentecost. He gets up to proclaim to thousands of people who are not speaking in his language. They're not speaking the language that he speaks, and so they might have an issue understanding the gospel that he's standing up to proclaim. And so in that moment, there is a necessity for God to gift Peter with a tongue so that those in the audience at Pentecost can understand what he is saying to proclaim the gospel more effectively. And so you say, well, why did he use signs and wonders gifts 2,000 years ago, and why are they not as prominent today? The answer is fairly simple, I believe. Today we have a completed copy of God's Word. And so 2,000 years ago, it was very hard to even get a copy of the Old Testament. And in that time, they were writing and being inspired to write the New Testament. They did not have completed copies of God's Word 2,000 years ago. They had, some had the Old Testament, but not all had the Old Testament. The Old Testament was not translated into a lot of languages like the Bible is today. And so now we are blessed today to have in our hands, in our laps, in our, on our bookshelves, the completed copy of God's inspired, inerrant, infallible Word. And so, because we have his word, we do not need a sign, we do not need a wonder, we need the gospel, we need the Bible. This is what God has chosen for us to understand. Now, do not misunderstand me, I'm not putting God in a box. I'm not saying God can't, because God can do anything. God does not need me, God does not need me sitting here saying this tonight, but God can do anything. But today, we have a completed copy of God's word. And so, through this Bible, We can read the prophecy that he wanted us to know. We can understand the miracles that he did and the the understanding around those and why he did what he did when he was here on earth. And so we have today in our hands a completed copy of God's word. That's how he has chosen to communicate with us. And we're blessed. We can get on our phones, on our tablets, the Bible in multiple languages. And so there's no need today, I believe, for a gift of tongues when we have Scripture and various languages and missionaries that have given their life in those languages to go and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to that people group, to that ethnic group, and to that community. 
And so, apostleship. To be an apostle, there's a clear um, understanding in Scripture what it means to be an apostle. You had to have visualized the resurrected Lord. None of us have visualized in person the resurrected Lord. If you have, come talk to me afterwards. That's pretty great. But none of us have done that. Only Paul was the last apostle. As he, there on the road to Damascus, he visualized Jesus and he was called an apostle. There's also other requirements to be an apostle. Healing. Now, we are not the gift of the healer. We do not have the ability to walk up and heal like they did in the Old Testament. But God can do all things. He is still the great physician. And so though we pray for healing, we are not the healer in the gift. And so then you got prophecy. God has revealed everything he wants us to know in Scripture. Revelation closed the prophecy as John on the Isle of Patmos was receiving all of this prophecy about futuristic events that have not yet taken place, many of them. And so that is the prophecy he wants us to know about the future through the Old Testament, the prophecy he wanted us to know about Jesus and his first coming, and then tongues. Today we have scripture in many different languages. We have missionaries in many different languages. And so these gifts I would call the signs and wonders gifts. And there are some of my friends who would completely disagree with me. And so if you disagree tonight, that's okay. It's your personal conviction through Scripture. I'm not coming tonight giving you my opinion. I just want to say how I believe my convictions are, and if you disagree, that's completely okay. These are not um, core values to our faith. As long as we believe Jesus died, was buried, and resurrected, we believe Jesus, the bloodshed on Calvary, gives us salvation. We are united together under the banner of Jesus, and nothing divides. And so if you disagree with that tonight, that's okay. It's not going to hurt my feelings. But through my understanding of Scripture, I believe those four gifts can be called the signs and wonders gifts. So with that out of the way, we're going to get now into the main gifts. And to illustrate this, I want to give you an illustration. Many of you watch baseball. And we have the minor league and we have the MLB, the major league baseball teams. And so these minor leagues and these major leagues, guys, they're playing the same game. But at the end of the day, the major league guys, they're using their gift on a higher level to do greater things inside of the broad baseball game. And so while all of us are called in certain scenarios to use different characteristics for the glory of Christ, each of us have been called to a higher standard in at least one gift. And so I said this in the first week, you might have multiple gifts, you might be given one specific gift, but there is something we are all called to do. We all who have been saved have been gifted by the Spirit to use what He has given us to make much of Jesus and to serve the body of Christ. I said last week, you need the church and the church needs you. The church here in Bennett, not simply the four walls, but the body of Christ, we need your gift. The body of Christ needs you to be effective for the gospel and to be effective for the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need your gift. The church needs your gift. And you need the church. There are times when you need encouragement. There are times when you need to be served. There are times when you need compassion. There are times when you need teaching. And so you need the church, and the church needs you. But tonight, as we unpack these seven, and if we don't get through them all tonight, we'll pick up next week. As we unpack these seven gifts, some of you are called in this area just minorly, some of you are called in this area very major. And so tonight, I want you to under, hopefully you have a good understanding of maybe what your gift is. If you take, took, uh, had the, taken the test and you don't agree with it, that's okay. You can score yourself. So as I go through these characteristics, each gift has around 20 characteristics. Say, does that sound like me? Does that not sound like me? Do I exhibit this? Do I have this in my life? And if not, that's probably not your gift. If it is, that's a good understanding. This might be the gift that God has specifically called me to, to use in a great way. All right, so number one, the discerner. Number one, the discerner or discernment. And some would say 
that the prophecy in Romans chapter 12 is speaking of discernment. So whether that's true or whether that's not, we do know in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you don't have to flip there, but it says in verse 10, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues. So there it says discerning of spirits. Some that you read would say that prophecy in Romans chapter 12 is speaking of discernment. And so either way, we know discernment through Scripture. It is a gift that's given of the Spirit, and we talked about it last week. It is something that we all are called to have in our life. Some would call this the perceiver. Some would call it the discerner. However, Scripture calls this gift in, Romans, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, discerning of spirits. And so I said last week, discernment simply means to judge or to try something to see if it's true. The discerner is very wise in understanding of biblical knowledge. The discerner has a lot of wisdom. And so a discerner is full of wisdom, always offering guidance to those around them. So here we're going to go and unpack these 20 or so characteristics for the discerner. You can write these down. And if you say, the discerner's my gift, I can give you just my full page of notes for discernment so you don't have to write it all down. If you email me and you say, you know, I'm the exhorter, give me your um, notes for the exhorter, I'll give you those because we're going to go pretty quick through these. So the first characteristic we see of the discerner, he quickly and accurately identifies good and evil and hates evil. So the discerner quickly and accurately identifies good and evil and hates evil. The discerner has the ability to view people as either living in the will of God or living out of the will of God. They are a very good judge of character. So some of you teenagers, your parents probably have the gift of discernment. And so you bring home this, let's say this guy, this girl, you that grown up, you grew up, your parents probably were like this at times. You have this group of friends. Your parents might say, you know what? I just don't think that's the right crowd for you. I just don't think that's who you need to be hanging around with. And so people that have the gift of discernment, they have a good um, understanding of what type of person, whatever person you might have around you. And so they are a good judge of good and evil, and they hate evil. The Christian that's been gifted discernment. Now remember, to have this gift, you have to be saved. The Christian that has discernment, they have a hate for evil because they have such a hunger for truth. So number one, quickly and accurately identifies good and evil and hates evil. Number two, sees everything as black and white. Sees everything as black and white, no gray area. And so some of the gifts, I think the exhorter it is, it has a large uh, understanding of the gray area. It's not black and white, clear and cut. It's just everybody's in the same ballpark. But the discerner typically sees everything as clear cut, black and white. So the discerner's quick to make a decision. The discerner's quick to say yes or no, right and wrong, false or truth. And so they are quick to make that decision with what they think is truth, what they think is false, and they're quick to tell you that right off the bat. Number three, easily discerns the character of individuals and groups. It's very easy for the discerner to get the feel for individuals or groups of people. And so like I said in the beginning, some of you have parents, some of you are like this. I've hung out with people growing up. I've talked to people in the past couple of weeks, and the parent will say to me, Brother Travis, I just had a feeling about that person. I just thought that person was bad news, and I'm not saying anything bad about anybody, but they're like, I just didn't think my daughter or my son needed to be hanging around with that group of people or that individual. Most likely, that's the gift of discernment. That's the Spirit giving them the understanding that the person their teenager is hanging around with, they do not need to be part of that. John, John the Baptist, I believe, had this gift. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, he calls the Pharisees vipers. 
He was quick to discern the hearts of the group of people that were following Jesus. And so he said, ye are vipers. And so he was quick to understand the individuals and the groups. So number three, easily discerns the character or easily judges the character of individuals and groups. Number four, encourages repentance and produces fruit. This is a big one. Encourages repentance and produces fruit. After John the Baptist called out the Pharisees, he then called them to repentance. And so the discerner, he's quick to see evil. He's quick to judge what's right and wrong. But though through the, Christ, through the spirit living on the inside of him, he is quick to call those to repentance. He doesn't want to see someone fall. He doesn't want to see someone fail. The discerner does not want to see someone living in sin. They want to see that person turn around and start following truth. And so the discerner encourages repentance and produces fruit. The discerner is a good personal counsel with others, and they're able to observe fruit in other people. We know Scripture tells us we can identify someone as a believer in Christ by the fruit that they produce in their life. The discerner, some people have no idea what fruit is. Some people have no idea if somebody in their life is producing fruit. But those with the gift of discernment very clearly and very accurately can point out what's fruit and what's not of God in someone's life. Number five, believes the acceptance of difficulties will produce positive personal brokenness. The discerner will rejoice in negative events in life as they view this as opportunity to grow and begin producing fruit. I'm telling you this right now. When I'm seeking encouragement, I do not like to call the discerner. I've had that conversation with somebody. I have something that's just, uh, I told you the first week, things just tear my nerves up. I get tore out of the frame, I'll call Eric. Thankfully, he's encouraging. And so when I call the discerner and ask him, hey, well, this is just an opportunity to grow. Just live through it, just push through it, just go through it. It's all right. You're in the wrong. You're not, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. And so they will clear cut, give the answer, clearly tell me where it's wrong. And they will say, this difficulty, this trial that you're living through, hey, it's just an opportunity for growth. So if you're a discerner, that's probably you. Your kid comes home crying and whining about something, and you're, hey, 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 hey. This difficulty in your life, it, use it as an opportunity to grow. You might lack the mercy, you might lack the compassion, but you're always seeing the end goal. You're always seeing the future of what Christ can do in that person's life through this difficult situation. So number five, believes the acceptance of difficulties will produce positive personal brokenness. Number six, they view the Bible as the basis for truth, believe action, and belief, action, and authority. So they view the Bible as the basis for truth, belief, action, and authority. So the discerners, they are in the Word of God a lot. They have the ability, when they hear false teaching, hey, that's not right. And so I said last week, we all should have this gift on at least a small level as we read Scripture to understand what is truth. But there will be those who are called to this level on the major level. And so they have the ability, when they hear something, they are immediately fact-checking it with Scripture. This does not align with God's Word, and so they're quick to call them out. They're quick to say what's true, and they are yes and no, black and white. I want truth. I do not want false. So they view the Bible as the basis for all truth. They believe there is not any other basis for truth in the world. They align everything they hear with the Word of God. And that should be all of us. Not just the discerner. Everything we hear should be filtered through the lens of Scripture. Number seven, boldly operates in spiritual principles. Boldly operates in spiritual principles. You will see people in your life that when they, how they live, what they do, how they act, what they say, it's all filtered through the understanding of the principles given in Scripture. Discerners, through their personal Bible study, they are able to extract truths from Scripture that apply to everyday life. 
You can see this in children who possess this gift. Uh, they have, they're extremely strict with themselves. This was not me growing up. Brother Randy Brady could probably testify. We, I always sat with the guy that was very strict and disciplined with himself. That was not me. But this person, even in high school years, even in elementary years, they are strict with their homework. They're strict with what they do. They're strict with everything about themselves to the point, black and white, cut blank. They are strict with themselves. But discerners, through their personal Bible study, they have the ability to extract truths from Scripture and apply them to everyday life. Because as they're reading Scripture, this is truth. This applies to me. I need this in my life. And they will apply it to their life very practically. Number eight is frank, outspoken, and does not mince words. The discerner is frank, they're outspoken, and they're not going to mix their words around. This can sometimes get the discerner in trouble because they speak what is on their mind and they're typically not ashamed of it. And so you know the discerner. It's the person when you come up, they're going to tell you what they think, how they think it, why they think it, and how you're wrong. And so that can be a misuse of the uh, discerner, but also it can play well on the discerner. I have the fear of speaking up sometimes when I know something needs to be said, I sometimes shy away from that. But the discerner, they're right there, this is wrong, this shouldn't be like this, and they'll tell you their opinion exactly the way they think it, how they think it, and why they think it. And so they, they are frank, outspoken, and they do not mix their words. They grieve deeply, number nine, they grieve deeply over sin. This person, they will inwardly and outwardly weep when they see someone involved in sin. So the discerner, who has discerned partially the heart of God through understanding Scripture, they grieve very much over seeing someone they love living a life outside of Scripture. It grieves them. James 4 actually calls us to mourn and weep over our sin. The, the terminology there in the Greek is mourn and weep over your sin like you've lost a loved one. We've all experienced loss in our life, and you know the sheer pain that comes over us when we lose someone that we love. James says that should be your response to sin because your sin is what put Jesus on the cross. Your sin is what crucified Jesus. So we should grieve and mourn over sin. But the discerner, they grieve deeply over sin of themselves and over sin with others. He or she, the discerner, knows that sin can grow out of control and destroy lives. And he has discerned through scripture the heart of God. They have discerned. So Paul writes in Philippians, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And so you say, well, Paul knew him. He was saved. Absolutely. But Paul's saying, I want to know Jesus so that his character through sanctification starts to become my character. And so that was Paul's heart. That was Paul's mind was that I live and study and love Jesus so much that his character through, through the spirit living inside of me and through sanctification starts to become my character. And Jesus hated sin. And the discerner, through discerning scripture and understanding it, they will grieve deeply over sin. Number 10, is eager to see his own sin or own blind spots to help see others also. And so all of us, Hebrews says, has a besetting sin. It says, let us lay aside every sin and weight that doth so easily beset us. And so some things in our life, they're not necessarily wrong, but they weigh us down from running the Christian life. Some things are wrong. There's sin in our life, and we need to get rid of it. But the discerner, they're eager to see their own failures. They're eager, eager to see their own sin so that they can, in return, help someone else who's walked through the same valley. And so they will say, all of us have sin, so here's where I struggle. All of us have failure, so here's where I mess up. 
And so they would do that because they've figured it out through, through the Spirit living inside of them through Scripture that I should not have this in my life, and now they're willing to be transparent with those that they might counsel. This is how I struggle. This is what I've went through. And so this is how you can hopefully come out of that situation. So he knows that sin in his life will block the flow of his gift, and so they are eager to, re to repent. They're eager to uh, push repentance, and they're eager to have repentance in their own life. Number 11, desires above all else to see God's plan worked out in all situations. Desires above all else to see God's plan worked out in all situations. Discerners are always wanting to know God's plan, and they seek to know it for their personal life and for others. They desire above all for God's plan to take place and for their lives to be yielded to the ultimate plan of God. So the discerner, they want above anything else in their life for God's plan and God's will to be made and to be brought out in their life. And so because they've been discerning through Scripture, because they've been reading truth, because they've been understanding truth, they want so badly to see God's plan come out in their life. Number 12, strongly promotes the spiritual growth of groups and individuals. Discerners want to see spiritual growth. They view themselves as ever-growing and are always eager to help others grow. And so we have Christians. If there were no one to help promote growth, we would all be babes in Christ. And Paul has encouraged us. We need to be able to understand the meat of Scripture. We need to be under, understand the deep things of Scripture. And so there are people as discerners that are there to help us do that and prompt us and push us to growth. Number 13 is called to intercession. The discerners are called to intercession. This perhaps is the most important characteristic of the discerner. They are called to pray for intercession of other believers. The discerner should be, and so I said this earlier, they can sometimes get in trouble because they're so outspoken, but the discerner should be slow to speak and quick to pray. Slow to speak, a mature discerner is slow to speak and quick to pray. If they don't take every situation to prayer, there can become negative criticizers or obnoxious meddlers in their life that say, you know what, they're using their gift for the wrong reasons, they're not truly in the spirit. And so the discerner, they are quick to intercede for others. As they're quick to call out sin, as they're quick to say what's right and wrong, as they're quick to encourage repentance, they're quick to pray as a mature discerner. They're called to intercession. Number 14, has strong opinions and convictions. Has strong opinions and convictions. Discerners have an opinion on almost everything. And so their opinion, I said earlier, their opinion, whether, they, whether you believe it or not, they're going to tell you what their opinion is why they believe it, how they believe it, where they read it from. And so they have an opinion on almost everything. Fortunately, discerners usually seek God's help in forming their convictions. A mature discerner will seek God's help in forming their convictions. Thus, discerners' opinion often carries with it the ring of truth. And so many times, whether we want to hear it or not, the words the discerner will give to us is truth straight from Scripture. Then number 15, has strict personal standards. Discerners have never satisfied with less than the best efforts. Their integrity is by their word, what they say they do. They're very trustworthy. Number 17, desires to be obedient to God at all cost. And so that is the characteristics of the discerner. Ends with they desire to be obedient to God at all cost. You'll see the discerner. Because there's so much in Scripture, they are ready to obey God in every aspect of their life. So as with everything good, there is also misuses of things in every gift. So there's about five of them for each gift of ways that we can in our flesh misuse the gift that the Spirit has given us. We said it before. Every good gift comes from above. The Spirit has gifted us, but Satan wants to use who we are 
to, re, to re, go completely against the plan of God. And so, there are problems in our life with every gift because we are still made of flesh. So number one, the discerner tends to be judgmental and blunt. The discerner tends to be judgmental and blunt. While in the nat natural world, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line, that's not true in the spiritual world. The shortest distance between you and another person, especially a problem person or someone that has an issue, is a line prayer straight to God. But many times the discerner, because they're so quick to speak their opinion, when someone comes against them, when someone says something, they're ready to spout off something, and they're ready to be judgmental and very blunt about the person that has an issue. When our response, as all Christians, should be, let me take this to God first, and then I'll come back to you with a response. But many times the discerner, they're very blunt, they're very judgmental, and they're to the point, and sometimes that can get them in trouble. Number two, forgets to praise partial progress due to, due to goal consciousness. So the discerner may be so eager for a person to come to perfection in Christ that he expects too much. So the discerner can have this where they want someone to grow so much they expect something greater out of the person than they're at the ability to give at that time. And so they can get frustrated with the person they're counseling. They can get frustrated with the person that they're speaking to, all because they have not seen the growth they want to see in that amount of time. Number three is pushy and trying to get others and groups to mature spiritually. And so every Christian, every blood-bought child of God will grow and progress and mature at various time frames. But the discerner wants to see it right away. The discerner wants them to happen, it wants, wants it to happen right away, right then, right now. Number four is intolerant of opinions and views that differ from his own. So you can imagine the discerner. If they're bold to speak their opinion, when they hear an opinion that differs from theirs, boy, they're upset. And so that can get them in trouble. Discerners are always convinced that their view is right, they're not wrong, and they could never be wrong. And so that can at times be misused by Satan to get them in trouble. Number five, lastly, struggles with self-image problems. Since discerners have such an inner desire to do what is right, and since they're readily aware of their own shortcomings, they are quick to judge themselves as inadequate. And so at times they can struggle, the discerner can struggle with self-image problems in their personal life. Because they can say, well, because I'm sinful, I can't be used of God. And so they'll struggle with who they are in Christ. They'll struggle with what Christ has done for them and what he's called them to do. All right, so that's the discerner. So that's a mouthful. That's a lot. And so if you think you are the discerner, you didn't get everything written down, that's fine. I'll give you everything I have here on these notes because it's a lot. All right, number two, the server. The server. Look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 7. Romans chapter 12 and verse 7. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. So there it is. Or, or ministry, that is serving. Let us wait on our serving or ministering. So the Greek word used for ministering or serving conveys the message of doing practical things in order to be of service to others. And so a lot of people have the gift of serving, if not as their main gift, as, a, as a, another gift in their life. We have a lot of servers here at Beulah. So I will let a lot of these characteristics will categorize a lot of you in the room tonight as a server of the church, as a server of the body of Christ, as a server of um, the body of Christ and Jesus Christ. So number one, easily recognizes practical needs and is quick to meet them. The server is easily recognizes practical needs and is quick to meet them. A server can spot a mile, uh, a need a mile away. So they're regularly seeing what needs to be done, and they're actively doing it as soon as the need arises. And so, there are ones that are always ready to clean up, when they're always ready to lend a hand. So these are the people that come to your house, you invite them over for dinner, and then you find them five minutes later doing your dishes. That's the server. 
And you're like, oh, yeah, I'll do that later. But you're like, yeah, you can go ahead and take care of that. But the server, always ready to lend a hand, always ready to serve. And so they recognize a practical need, something they can do right then and there, and they're quick to meet that need. Number two, they especially enjoy manual projects, jobs, and functions. And so this is more so possibly towards the men with this gift, but also the ladies with this gift can do hands-on things. We have people at Bible school that do crafts. They love to build these uh, gigantic props. I have no idea how they would do it. I couldn't do it. That's not me. That's not my gift. But some people love to do that stuff. And so they're ready to see a need that they can do manually with their hands, and they're ready to have that job done because that's the gift that they have. And so that is why the server is often referred to as the hands of the body of Christ. And that graphic that was up there earlier, the server was the hands of the body of Christ. They are always eager to use their hands to serve the church, to serve the body of Christ. And so number three, keeps everything in meticulous order. Servers cannot stand clutter. They can't stand dirt. They can't stand disorganization. And so at their house, this was mom's second gift was serving. Growing up, I never understood why every single day she was washing the dishes she was sweeping the floor. She was all, I'm like, Mom, you just swept it and mopped it yesterday. Yes, but don't you see the dust? No, I don't see the dust. You just mopped it yesterday. The servers are the ones that are always cleaning, always picking up, always making sure everything is in that correct order. And so, number four, they are a detailed person with a very good memory. Servers have a computer-style memory. You can ask them, hey, where'd you put that newspaper clipping from four years ago? Oh, I filed it over here. It's right here in my desk. They'll know exactly where they put things, exactly how they said things, exactly how things are supposed to be. The server has a very detailed and a great memory. Number five, they enjoy showing hospitality. We have a lot of that here at Beulah. We have a lot of people who enjoy showing hospitality. Some of you love to entertain people. Some of you love to have people over at your house, have to cook for people, do things for people. They're always looking for opportunities to invite others over for dinner, dessert. They do a terrific job of making guests and churches feel welcome. And so maybe that's you. You're the server. You have a great um, desire for hospita hospitality in your life. Number six, we'll stay with something until it is completed. Servers finish what they start. They will not start something. I, years ago, I preached a sermon here at Beulah, me and Wesley, we must not be servers. We had started so many things in our life, and we had not finished working. We sanded a tractor. We built a calf cabin, and we never finished them. And so servers always start what they finish. When they say they will do something, you can count on it, and they will do it. They will give you their word. Hey, I'll help you with this. I'll lend a hand here. I'll serve wherever I'm needed. And so the only thing that produces frustration is when you give them something to do in a short amount of time, you see they not only want to finish the task, but they want to do it well. So a server can sometimes get frustrated with the amount of time they have to do a task because they're so eager, they're so ready to help, but they want to make sure they do it correctly. Number seven, this is a big one. The, the server has a hard time saying no to request for help. They have a hard time saying no to request for help. Because servers are so naturally geared to be helpful and because they know that they're good at it, it's difficult for them to turn down a request for help. And so when they should say no, when they should say, I don't have time. When they should say, I can't help here. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll be there. I'm there to help you. They have a very hard time saying no. And so the thing that the server needs to do, you need to learn to check your load. Understand if what you have on you right now with work, with life, with family, with ministry, with church, is it too much on you if you're not getting done what you have to get done? It's okay, server, 
to say no sometimes to benefit your ministry and to benefit you in the long run. It's okay to say no sometimes to things that come up. Number eight is more interested in meeting the needs of others than their own needs. The classic server, they're willing to put themselves, the old saying around here is on the back burner, so that they can help wherever they're needed to help. They are more interested in meeting and helping the needs of others than they are their own practical and personal needs at home. Servers are such caring people, they hate to let anyone down. So they're always willing to help, even if it means letting something in their own personal life go to help the other person. Number nine, enjoys working on immediate goals rather than long-range goals. Servers prefer, prefer short-term goals. They enjoy something that they can get their teeth into and they can finish in a foreseeable amount of time. And so never give a server a huge list of 15 jobs to do on a Saturday because that's going to overwhelm them, that's going to tear their nerves up, and they're going to know, I can't get this done, and they want to do it all, and they want to do it right. So the server, they appreciate more short-term goals than the administrator prefers more long-term goals. Number 10, shows love for others in deeds and actions more than words. And so servers believe actions speak louder than words. And so servers can oftentimes have the same gift as exhortation and encouragement. They're very good at showing, showing love toward other people, but they do it differently than the encourager. They don't speak it, they show it. Hey, I'll do this for you. Hey, I'll help you with this. You need help? It's 2 a.m. Here, I'm coming to help you anyways. The server is always willing to help in deeds and actions, and they do so more than they do in words. But servers believe actions speak louder than words. Number 11, needs to feel appreciated. The server enjoys feeling appreciated. Appreciation assures them that they've done well, and it's accumulation of their joy in serving. So the server, you might, you might be a server in here tonight, and you do all these things for all these people, and sometimes you just won't thank you. So the server longs for, at times, the appreciation of what they're doing. They need to feel appreciated. Number 12, tends to do more than asked to do. Servers love so much doing for others, and sometimes they go over and beyond what was asked of them. And so they'll do more than was asked. They'll clean more than was asked. They'll serve longer than they were needed to. Number 13, feels the greatest joy in doing something that is helpful. When they are over at your house, they're always wanting to help do the dishes. They're always wanting to help clean up. They're always wanting to do something to help someone right where they are. So I, that could be a many different things. But the server is always and finds joy in doing something that is helpful. Number 14, does not want to lead others or projects. The server does not like to lead. The server enjoys having someone tell them what to do so that they can serve, be behind the scenes kind of, and just do what's been told of them. Servers many times are not leaders, they're followers. The result is frustration for them and probably eventually frustration for those they try to lead. And so the server typically likes to just be instructed. They like to follow. They do not like to be the leader. Number 15, the, the uh, server has a high energy level. With all they're going to be doing, they need a lot of energy. And so they seem to have boundless energy and they, have, they serve an unusual endurance and they often get less sleep than the average person. Number 16, and we already kind of covered this, they cannot stand clutter. Number 17, tends to be a perfectionist. Whatever servers do, they want to do it well. They don't want it done halfway. They don't want it done uh, just in a small amount. They want to do everything they can the right way, and they want it perfect. Servers are perfectionist a lot of the times. Number 18, uh, they view serving to be, a prim to be primary importance in life. They think this is one of the most important things in their life is being able to serve where they are needed. They find their joy, the server finds their contentment, the server finds their appreciation in simply being able to help and being able to serve where they are needed. 
And so then number 20, they support others who are in leadership. And I missed number 19, they prefer doing a job uh, than, than delegating it. They'd rather just do it themselves. And so the old saying is, if I want it right, I need to do it myself. That's the server. They would rather just do it themselves than to delegate it to someone else. Number 20, supports others who are in leadership because they are the follower. All right, now the problems with the server, the misuses of the gift of serving. Number one, is critical of others who do not help out with obvious needs. It's a classic example of Martha, the sister of Mary and Lazarus. The discerner or the server at times, they can be critical of others who do not want to help right away because their gift is if I see a need, I'm here to help. I don't understand why other people aren't helping. Number two, they might neglect their own needs or their family's needs by being too busy helping others. This is the classic server. I'm giving of myself to everybody else, but I'm neglecting my own family and I'm neglecting my own personal and house needs back home. And so the wife who does so much volunteer work, that's the, the laundry and the dishes and everything stacking up and there's no dinner and all that stuff. And so it can be at the house, like the server's not doing as much because they're serving everybody else in the community, in the body of Christ. Number three, they may become pushy or interfering in eagerness to help. So servers can sometimes help where help is not wanted. And so they'll, they'll come in, hey, let me do this. Hey, let me have this. Hey, let me help you here. Let me lend a hand here. And sometimes you don't want help, but the server at times can be so pushy and so eager to help to where they just help wherever they think they see a need. And so they can be eager and pushy and eagerness to help others. Number four, finds it hard to accept being served by others. Because the server so loves to serve, they feel awkward when someone else serves them but the fact is they need to learn to receive as well as give. Otherwise, they rob others of the joy of serving. So the server, they can sometimes be so consumed with serving that they forget that sometimes there's someone there to serve you and to help you. Number five, they're easily hurt when underappreciated. They're easily hurt when unappreciated. The server sometimes can have the biggest heart, just like the one with compassion, and they can be the most easy to get hurt when they, are, they don't get the thank you, they don't get the appreciation that they think they deserve, they can feel underappreciated and they can be very hurt. And so what should the server do in that moment? We have to check our motives. Are we doing this for man and the applause of man, or are we using this gift to make much of Jesus? And that puts things back into perspective. The server, though, we, though you enjoy appreciation, at the end of the day, you're not serving for man, you're serving for Jesus. You're serving for what he's called you to do, to make much and to portray the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number three, the teacher. Romans chapter 12 and verse 7, the last part says this, or he that teacheth, let him teach. Or he that teacheth on teaching. So the Greek word for teaching conveys the idea to teach or to give instruction. These people are drawn to research. They may not be directly involved in the area of instructing others. They may be writers that do their teaching through essays, papers, or books. And so some of you might have got uh, the gift of teaching. You might think this is your gift. And so listen to these characteristics. These, I was reading them to Christiana today. They describe me 100%. The things that frustrates me, they're on this list. Things that get on my nerves, they're on this list. Things that make me happy, they're on this list. And so I never thought I would be a teacher, but I guess God has other plans and the Spirit lives inside of us, calls us to what He sees fit. Number one, presents truth in a logical, systematic way. This teacher is easy to take notes, and exhorter, they might be most interested, and they might be the most interesting and popular teachers, those that exhort, but the teacher, they may teach for an hour and make only one, the, the exhorter might teach for only an hour and make one significant point, while the teacher is laying it out very clearly, line by line, here's what the truth is, here's what's being said. So the teacher, they present truth in a logical and systematic way. Number two, validates truth by checking out the facts. Man, if that doesn't describe me. 
I'm always, where's the scripture for this? I was having a conversation with one of my friends. It was probably last spring. And they brought up a biblical topic. And I said, I think I I disagree. And they said, well, they gave me their basis for it. And I said, well, let's go back to scripture. Let's see what scripture has to say. And I'm always wanting to fact check. The teacher is always wanting to fact check what they hear with truth. They're always validating truth by checking out the facts. And so teachers are spiritual detectives. And in the Christian sense, the teacher is a spiritual detective. Detective. What they hear, they want to fact check it with the truth of God's word. Number three, they love to study and do research. They are afraid to pass on incorrect. They are afraid to pass on incorrect truth. They love to have a large personal library. So they love to do research. They love to study. They love to understand the things in which their field is. Number four, they enjoy word studies. Now, the biblical teacher, they investigate root meanings in Greek and Hebrew words and counterparts to understand the overall theme of the book of the Bible that they're studying. For you that teach not Bible, you're probably the same way. You love the word studies, you love the small things, you love to understand the concepts so that you can more effectively and logically lay out what it is to teach it in a way. Number five, prefers to use biblical illustrations rather than life illustrations. This is speaking of the biblical teacher. The Bible is the ultimate authority to the teacher. Life illustrations are another matter. They are by their very nature subjective. And so the Bible teacher would rather use biblical illustrations than life illustrations. Number six, man, this one is a big one. Christiana can hear me harp on this all day. Gets upset when scripture is used out of context. Gets upset when scripture is used out of context. That is one of my biggest gripes with people in the world. They use scripture out of context to try to prove a point that is not true. And so this unpardonable sin Drive, quotation marks, unpardonable sin drives teachers up the wall. They want truth to be truth, and they want people to understand the truth and portray truth in the correct way. Number seven, has a strong desire that truth be established in every situation. Whether it is in business, education, religion, human relationships, or any other area of life, teachers want truth to prevail no matter where they are. It is the foundation, the anchor, the framework within which they can, can securely work. So the teacher, they base everything off of truth and they want truth to be established in every single situation. They don't like false information. They don't like uh, untrue things about scripture. They want truth to be established in every situation. Number eight, they're more objective than subjective. Teachers tend to look at life with a certain detachment. They participate without letting their emotions get too involved. Number nine, emphasizes facts and the accuracy of words. So all kind of going back to the fact checkers that the teachers are. Teachers are not interested in opinions, kind of like the discerner. They're, oh, my opinion. The teacher wants the fact. Discerner wants the opinion. Teacher wants the fact. Number 10, checks out the source of knowledge of others who teach. I do this all the time. Probably could be a fault. But if I'm hearing someone, I'm, facting, I'm fact-checking it with Scripture. I want, like I said the first week, and think about spiritual gifts. If you, whatever you hear, you need to fact-check it with Scripture and make sure you know what you're reading, what you're hearing is truth, and it's aligning itself with Scripture. So checks out the source of knowledge of others who teach. Number 11, prefers teaching believers to engage in evangelism. When it comes to the gift of evangelism, teachers, they're not the most vocal out in public with evangelizing. Their primary gift of evangelizing is I'm going to teach the congregation how to make much of Jesus so that they can go out and live out the Christian life and show others how to become uh, Christian, how to become saved, how to know that Jesus died for them. So teachers pick up where the evangelist leaves off. So you have the Heath Williams of the world coming into Beulah, preaching evangelistic, CTs of the world, preaching evangelistic. Many people get saved that way. But then there has to be someone that comes in with the mature truth to help them grow. 
And so where the evangelist, the one that has the gift of evangelizing, they are sold out, they are committed their whole life to making much of the gospel, as we all should be, and they're constantly proclaiming the truth, seeing people saved. The teacher comes in and helps the person, the new convert, grow in their relationship with Jesus. And so it's fortunate that not every Christian is high on evangelism because we need some that are teachers that have the logical truth to help that new convert grow and disciple them in their new walk with Jesus. Number 12, Phil's Bible study is foundational to the operation of all gifts. Teachers cannot imagine anything more important than studying the Bible. They believe the Bible is the foundation to everything in life as it should be to all of us. Number 13, solves problems by starting with scriptural principles. They want everything, so when they have a problem, well, let's go back to Scripture. Romans 8, 28, we know all things work together for, for the good to them, love God to them, are called according to His purpose. They take everything back to Scripture, align everything with Scripture, and they go off of that. Teachers believe there is an answer to every problem inside of the Word of God. Number 14, they're intellectually, intellectually sharp. They have the mind. So when we have that graphic up there, it was pointing to the mind. They have the mind of the body of Christ, and they tend to be successful in whatever sphere they're in. And so they have a good memory. Number 15, they're self-disciplined. Teachers can set goals and stick to them, set parameters and work effectively within them, and the projects, time, schedules, and abide by them. Number 16, emotionally self-controlled. Of all the motivational gifts, this is the one that grants the greatest emotional balance. Number 17, has strong convictions and opinions based on investigation of facts. And so they have strong convictions based on the truths of Scripture. They have strong opinions based on the truths that they have discerned through Scripture. And then number 18, believes truth has the basic power to produce change. So the teacher's overall goal is they want to see change in the students. They want to see change in those they're preaching to. They want to see change in those they're teaching through. And they know change doesn't happen through a motivational talk. Change comes to the truth of Scripture, and so they are bound to the truth of Scripture. And as everything, there is problems with the gift of teaching that can be misused. Number one, tends to neglect the practical application of truth. Because teachers believe that their job is to communicate truth and let people make their own use of it, they usually do not give much in the way of practical suggestion. And this is sometimes where I mess up. I'm so... Um, caught up in giving the truth in the context of Scripture, but sometimes I'll forget to give the practical application of Scripture. And so not all minds work the same degree of logic like the teacher's mind does, and so many need specific directions and practical application. Number two is slow to accept the viewpoint of others simply because they want to fact-check it with Scripture. Number three tends to develop pride and intellectual ability. And so pride is probably the number one problem for those with the motivational gift of teaching because they think what they know is right, it's correct, and no one else can be right. The greatest quality that a teacher can seek is humility and love, and they will neutralize the pride problem when they come to Christ and get the characteristics that he has, which is love and humility in his life. Number four, they tend to be legalistic and dogmatic over what they know is true, over what they think is true. They don't think anything else, anything else can be true other than what they believe, so they can tend to be legalistic and dogmatic over various things. Number five is easily sidetracked by new interest. Man, I'm all the time thinking of something. Oh, I could do this, I could do that, I might have this. All the time sidetracked by a new idea, by a new interest, and trying to study that out in their life. So that is the teacher. And now we're on the exhorter, but I think we will conclude here for the night, simply because it's 6.55. I know um, Wendell Kidd, they're at the funeral home, and a lot of us are probably going to want to go see them. We're praying for their family as they lost Miss Judy. But um, I hope and pray this has been an encouragement. Tonight was completely different than the past couple of nights. And to be honest, I don't like to teach this way. I'd rather have Scripture go verse by verse. But looking at spiritual gifts, this is you need to know the characteristics so you can discern and understand what your gift actually is. And so take this question sheet. 
write a question if you have one about spiritual gifts. We'll try our best next week to answer that, and we'll go a little bit quicker through them. Might cut out a few of them so we can get done a little bit early next week and answer the questions that you might have regarding spiritual gifts. And so that was a lot of information tonight. I feel like I was just babbling on, and this was not my favorite night. And so it might be yours, it might not be yours either. But um, let's pray. If you have a question, put it in the box back there, and I'm praying for you. You need to know your spiritual gift so that you can more effectively serve Christ in the next couple of weeks. Look at the way the world's getting. We need the body of Christ to be the body of Christ. We don't need us trying to be someone else. We need to live and serve in who Christ has called us to be. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for tonight. We thank you for this group of people that have come and given their undivided attention to learn their spiritual gift. And so, Father, tonight their gift might not have been um, read and evaluated, but, Father, I pray that they understood and something that they heard tonight they can take and apply practically in their life so that they can more effectively minister for the cause of Jesus. Father, tonight we all here are under the same name. That's Jesus. And so, Father, we all have one goal, and that is to make much of Jesus Christ. So Father, whether we're the server, the teacher, the discerner, the giver, the exhorter, the compassionate one, the administrator, Father, please let us make much of Jesus. Let us have his heart, let us have his mind, and let us go forth tonight either proclaiming him as a speaking gift or portraying him in our life because our desire is to make much of Jesus. Father, I pray for the Window Kid family and all those that will go visit tonight. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the I Am Persuaded podcast, please consider subscribing and share with your friends. We pray this is a blessing in your life. God bless.